For the final episode of Season 4 in the Outside and Active podcast, we're joined by the real-life Forrest Gump, Rob Pope. In 2018, Rob became the first person to answer one of the most asked questions in ultra running. Could Forrest have actually survived his epic run? Well, according to Rob, he could, after he himself ran over 15,600 miles in 422 days, crossing America almost five times and finishing at the same spot Forrest did in Monument Valley. As such, it seemed appropriate that he next appeared at the sharp end of the field in the 2019 Marathon de Saab, finishing the highest placed Brit or Australian. Since then, he has taken charity fundraising to almost £100,000 with major long-distance runs between two of the UK's highest summits, Snowdon and Scarfell, for the Stroke Association, and making a pilgrimage called The Long and Winding Road from Liverpool to Glastonbury Festival, running over 100 kilometres daily for Oxfam. In this episode of the Outside and Active podcast, you can find out how he started his running journey and how the idea came about to run the same route that Forrest did in the film. We also talk through his experience running back-to-back ultramarathons and his experience during the infamous Marathon de Saab. As the talk of running got you feeling competitive, this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sports Tours International. Sports Tours International have you covered gaining entry to the world-famous major marathons and help you on your way to getting the prestigious Abbott World Marathon Major Medal. Search Sports Tours Abbott Major online today and let them take you to the starting line. They also have a competition running at the moment where you can win a once-in-a-lifetime seven-day True Tekka Tour to climb Mount Tukal in Morocco. You can enter that now by heading to outsideandactive.com. We also want to say a massive thank you to our season partners, Dry Rope, the original outdoor changing rope. Enhance your outdoor experience with Dry Robe. Designed to let you get changed anywhere, the Dry Robe Advance is an essential piece of kit for outdoor adventurers who need to stay protected from the elements. The Dry Robe Advance is like having your own portable changing room, where the oversized design gives you plenty of space to get changed in and out of your sports gear. Versatile enough to be worn as a jacket on those chilly race mornings, or just simply sitting by the fire in the evening. Made from 100% recycled fabrics, the waterproof and windproof outer protects you from the elements whilst the super warm lining keeps you toasty pre or post run. From surfing, wild swimming to triathlon, paddleboarding or even walking your dog in the torrential rain, the Dry Robe Advanced is for everyone. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Rob, thank you very much for joining us today on the Outside and Active podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. You've travelled down. We're in we're in Surrey at the moment. You travelled down from Liverpool, so a nice little journey for you. Super excited, mate. That's <laughs> what it was. I'm just disappointed I didn't run. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll jump straight into that. <laughs> Running, obviously. We'll come on to the, the amazing things that you've done since but where did it all kind of start for you you didn't start by running ultra marathons where did it begin i just did cross country at school yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I actually come from a, an unusual school in liverpool that didn't play footy and so in winter it was either cross country or rugby and yeah. uh, i didn't really fancy getting my face ground <laughs> into the day i'm not i'm not big enough yeah ugly enough we're not big enough <laughs> and um yeah then i sort of didn't really do much i did like the odd marathon I did, like london marathon most years uh, but I wasn't really training much, and I sort of it was only when I moved to Australia and joined a club just to get new mates that I uh, got a bit more into it and got a bit better. <laughs> Did you feel like you had a natural talent for it? It's a talent, I don't know. That's, I guess it is the right word, but did you find you had a natural ability to do long distance running and then you kind of exploited that and tried to explore it further? Yeah, well, it's sort of, to be honest, in terms of like sort of the exploiting it, sort of, it was only really when I did a marathon and someone who I ran with at uni 
uh, I'd done a super time, like a lot faster than me. And I was just like, oh, how did you do that quick? And he was just like, oh, well, I just uh, got this book. It was like advanced marathoning. Uh, and um, and so then I like sort of thought, wow, you know, if you ran that fast, maybe I could. And so I got the book and did it. And then, uh, and uh, yeah, obviously could. But like, so sort of, I, like, I was I was a good runner when I was at school, but not like setting the world mm. on fire. You know, I wasn't like England schoolboys or anything like that. But I'd occasionally get county, you know, and stuff. But uh, I was proud enough of that. <laughs> Do you remember what your first ultra marathon was? Uh, it was Runstock, uh, and so it was only a couple of months before I set off for the ultra, all of all ultra marathons, maybe. And um, yeah, I I did win it, but I got injured during it, and it was like sort of. A, and I thought, oh god, maybe this isn't for me. Have you been quite lucky with injuries? Or I know, obviously, doing the distances that you do, like I said, we'll come on to that it will take a natural toll on your body, but is your body quite good at being quite resilient and, and managing injuries? I think it, it must have been like the, I was extremely lucky um, in the USA because I got some mental injuries like game ending injuries, um, tendonitis in my anterior tibial, Achilles tendonitis. I tore a quad uh, and I was like walking three days after that and starting to run five days after it. And so, I think I've got sticky protein, but I think some of that sticky protein has come back to haunt me because later on in the in the run, I was tightening up like a sort of you know like a, a spring sort of in reverse, and and like I've paid the price for that in last couple of years, and it's only now that even though I may have been recovered for about eighteen months, I'm only starting to trust that recovery. Like I've got a constant when I run a constant niggle in one of my hip flexors. But I just think that's it now. I think that is what I feel when I run. And you, I just and have to get used to that. I was going to say, you then become used to that. Mm. And you, if you're running or walking, then running three to five days after you get an injury, you must be quite stubborn as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was more of a question of the fact that like so the whole America thing was like self-funded. And I was sat in this um, RV park um, with my uh, girlfriend at the time, sort of who was going to be flying home because we were literally just running out of money. And I had had two days where I physically couldn't walk, couldn't walk 30 yards to like the wash block. And I said to her, I said, listen, if I can't walk today, I'll just come home on the flight with you because I can't sit here for six weeks. So, you know, I may as well just go home and earn some money, you know, maybe we can come back. But in all honesty, I knew that was probably the game, game was up. So we went back to where I'd stopped uh, three days previously and I just started walking and I managed to do like 27 miles that day. And so it was just like, you know, it was sore, but it wasn't getting worse. And yeah. so next day I did 33. Then after that, I would start doing like, you know, running a quarter. Well, running is definitely in inverted commas there, but, you know, running a quarter, walking a mile, and then built it back up to, you know, my normal. So coming on to you know, a massive thing that you're known for, um, the real life Forrest Gump. Talk to us about where that came from and the challenge that, is alongside it. Yeah, so um, I did a little survey when I was out there, and it turns out that Forrest Gump is, in fact, the long-distance runner that Americans are most familiar with. You know, sort of, uh, the only other athletic name I got in my survey was Steve Prefontaine, the, the Nike mustachioed legend. And um, if you are going to look at running across America, or even, to be honest, even if you're just a guy with a cap running past the pub, 
someone's going to bring up Forrest Gump, you know, sort of uh, in various shades of amusement. And um, so when I first thought I would like to run across America one day, back in, I think it was like 2006, um, even though I wasn't running his route, you know, you look at running across America and you'll see pictures of Forrest Gump and then you just go, what route did he do? And then uh, somebody had done quite a bit of research into putting together his route from a map that you see behind a newsreader, landmarks he hit along the way and I thought oh well I'm not doing that because it's ridiculous <laughs> uh, and as it happened I didn't run across America before I moved to Australia and I ended up buying a jogging stroller with the express purpose of running across Australia but that never happened because life was happening mm. and it was only when I got back to the UK and I was just like no I'm going to do this run across America I've got a stroller I can do it I looked into the run and I thought I want to do something big for charity and I thought if I'm going to do something big it needs to be unique you know the, the I think only 300 people also uh, have run across America, so like dwarfed by the amount of people who've climbed Everest, uh, but still 300 people. And I thought, I want to do something that's just me. And even though I didn't choose something that was just me, like he was a fictional character, I believe. I got told it wasn't a documentary, very disappointing. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I just looked into his route and I just thought, well, tell you what, I'll do the first leg of it with the express intention of carrying on after that, but I didn't expect that I would managed to get to the end. In fact, only one person did, and that was my girlfriend, now wife, Nadine. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, it, you went 15,600 miles in 422 days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's un, almost unfathomable. Where does the motivation come for that? You just mentioned their charity. That's obviously yeah. a, a large part of it. Like in the film, Forrest gets asked if he's running for women's rights, the homeless, world peace, the environment, or animals. And so I was running for two charities, uh, Peace Direct, which uh, covered the first three, and the World Wildlife Fund, which covers the, the last two. Um, but it was all sort of, you know, those two with the base of a pyramid at the top was um, like sort of a, something that my mum said to me uh, before like she passed away, which is, you know, just do something in your life that makes a difference. And so that was the sort of thing is what inspired me to do the, the biggest run rather than, um, you know, my original goal, which is big enough, you know, sort of um, certainly uh, anybody, you know, who runs across the length of this country, you know, has got a lot, uh, you know, a lot of uh, kudos there. But like, sort of, you know, America's such a big place. When you're flying over it, and you're like, uh, you know, when I was like flying back, cause occasionally I had to go come back to the UK, um, because my visa ran out. But I wish I didn't have to, because those breaks made it worse. Because yeah. you were completely detrained in that time, and you'd have to go back and fight those first three weeks again. But I'd be flying over the country and I'd be looking down and going, oh, are they the Finger Lakes in New York? I ran past them. I actually, oh, that's where I had that burrito. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good point, food. Mm. When you're doing these long distances and these challenges, the food is a massive part of it. I mean, I, I can't begin to imagine how many calories and how much food you would have consumed over doing Massive challenges, right? Yeah, like sort of. I think it was about five and a half thousand, six thousand a day. You know, there, there'd be ups and downs depending on sort of where I was and you know how organised I'd been. Because it was like sort of um, even when I was um, crewed by my girlfriend, that's pretty much the extent of my crewing. That was for about fifty percent of it. Um, when I was on my own, I was a lot less organised, and I'd be like sometimes relying on finding a gas station or a, or a burger joint somewhere. And then sometimes I'd just be going through endless supplies of like sachet porridge because that's all I had. Yeah. You must get sick of 
eating food, having to eat the food. Yeah. Because it must become to a point where you're, you're running a lot. So your appetite's not fully up, but you do need to consume the calories. So I guess turning to liquid calories, or but then yeah, I guess when I, you're not organised, you just have to do with. I had to. I really struggled to eat initially, especially because it was hot. Mm. Um, but like, so even later on, like sort of, I would be. I remember sitting in this one cafe. I was eating a donut, and I got a um, like a forty-four ounce. I think it was a, it was cherry Pepsi. I got, and I was just thinking, I know this is big. How big is forty four ounce? Uh, this is like has had like you know sips left in it, and I looked it up and it was just like one point eight liters, and I was just like, oh, okay, I just drank one point eight liters of Pepsi, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, I think that was fairly calorie rich. But um, you know, my diet was filthy because like even though I had like the designs, you know, so even like sort of sports nutrition products and stuff that I liked. Um, you were just like, you couldn't get excited about them. We were just going to go, I was needing motivation, not just for the end goal, which we've just gone through, but like just to get to the day, I just go, oh, I just don't want to run today. Mm. I just go, get yourself to mile 16. There's a fast food place that you like. That's what we're going to get to, you know, and there's no point getting to that and sitting down and then cracking open a cereal bar, is there? You just like straight up to the till and just go, what have you got? What have you got for $4? <laughs> Something. <laughs> yeah. And you must meet some, uh, well, a load of people whilst you're running around, I guess. Uh, does anyone join you? Is that is that part of it? Yeah, I had a few people join me. Like, sort of, uh, not as many as I thought, actually. But, like, sort of, um, to be fair, in America, you don't really see many people on foot. You know, sort of, like, car is king. And so when you're, like, you're travelling around, like, sort of, um, yeah, if you're in a massive city like New York, everybody's so busy, you know, nobody's running on the streets in New York. They're all in Central Park or in the gym or anything like that. And then if you're in a sort of small town, like there's a lot more space and so therefore people just drive everywhere. So whenever I saw a runner or they saw me, we'd all get very excited and like sort of we'd do a little bit of a run together. <laughs> of course, there were a few running groups who either knew about me or found out about me and, um, you know, they'd say, come and run with us. And so, um, you know, something like that, even though it'd be like extra miles on my day, you know, I would, it was worth it. And then another massive thing that you've done, people that listen to the podcast know that we've had guests that have done it before, the Marathon de Saab yeah. in 2019. I mean, that was kind of a mixed one for you because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you finished first out of UK, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but you also developed pneumonitis. Yeah, it was it was a real sort of um, roller coaster ride, that one, because um, I had been injured from... Um, from the America thing, not like painfully, but just to the point where I couldn't get fit. And so I only trained for like three and a half weeks running wise. I'd been on the cross trainer a bit before, and but yeah, three weeks of uh, running training, go out there and then I haven't got, I didn't have any training on sand, didn't have a clue what to expect, you know. Didn't and acclimatise so, to the heat or something. No, exactly. So go out there. And I think after day two, I'm in like eighth overall and um, feeling great. But I'd like, couple of bad things sort of happened like sort of um, I got a message from home that my uh, mum-in-law had had a stroke and I just basically just went to the tent and said you know I'm going you know can you get me back to uh, to Marrakesh and he said well nobody is going for a um, you know the next like yeah. sort of 36 hours so if you feel it up to it tomorrow why don't you run and uh, in the meantime I got word from home that Basically, the family had said, no, we want you to stay out there. You know, this don't come home for this. So I went out there and I had the motivation to want to do it. But, you know, you can't get your head straight and stuff. And so 
Uh, it was still, I think, ninth or tenth, and then on the long stage, um, as an inexperienced sort of ultra runner, there was a sandstorm, and I had a buff, uh, which was like sort of in my bag somewhere, and I was just like, should stop, should get it. It's like, nah, I can't be bothered, and um, and so just just managed to like sort of get through it. But then on the final day, in fact, even that day, I struggled. And an Italian guy called Thomas Capone, um, who we'd had a bit of back and forth. He could speak a bit of English. All I could pretty say was Forza Thomas as he'd, he'd go past me. And he caught me in a bad way on the long stage. And he said, like, oh, Rob, come run with me. And I said, no, man, I'm done. I said, I'm out the next checkpoint. I said, I was really struggling. And he forced me to run with him for 4K before he pushed on. And I started walking again. But got, got, got recovered, got to the end. The next day, I just really struggled to breathe, and I felt my tight, uh, chest tighten. And I'm not asthmatic, but I thought, this is an asthma attack, what's happening here? Mm. Um, one of the Brit guys, of course, with me, like, leading the Brits, when I was, like, there, you know, doubled over, they were just like, Rob, what's the matter? And so one of them gave me his inhaler, and I could breathe again. And about a mile after that, I coughed up, like, a really big... It felt like I was coughing up lung, but it was just like a huge blood clot with loads of like oh, grit wow. and stuff in it. It was like rubbing it between my fingers going, oh my God, I'm sure there's bits in that. Yeah. And um, it was only when I spoke to the doctor at the end and he reckoned what the pain was, was um, I'd blocked a lung globe and all the air had just sort of gone into the blood and just collapsed that lung globe. And so uh, I managed to get to the end with the help of um, a lot of encouragement uh, from people. And I got the result, which was 14th. I'm walking away from the finish and I see Thomas walking towards me and I'm like, oh no. I put the head down because I know what know what was about to happen. And he comes back from the board and he goes, 19 seconds. You beat me by 19 seconds. No. And if he hadn't have... Um, if he hadn't have got me there, you know, sort of obviously he would have like... Oh, I would have dropped out, but yeah. he certainly, you know, I wouldn't have beaten by 19 seconds. And I think I was only 13 seconds ahead of the guy, 30 seconds from the guy who's in uh, 16th and a minute from the guy who's in 17th. And then there was half an hour to the guy wow. in 18th. So it was a real lesson. Even on the final leg, I was just going, no, don't walk this, run it, run it. And you don't think those little margins actually will have an effect. Over a long period. They of... bumped me up from 17th to 14th, but... Um, there's unfinished business for the MDS. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going back. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's tough enough without having those issues that you've spoken about. Yeah. So like you said, definitely unfinished business. I might go back and I might sort of run better and I might come uh, worse. I might be a lot older and slower now and I might do a lot worse, but I, I want to sort of go and have a run at it and then go, yeah, that went as well as I could in my physical state. And uh, But you know what's going to happen? I'll just realise, ah, it's just really hard. <laughs> So circling back to America quickly, yeah. um, and like I said, so many experiences I can imagine. A couple of questions. What was the the coolest thing that you saw? Like what was the moment, I mean, whatever definition you take of it, but like I either feel really good or that was a really nice thing to see or a good interaction. And then what was either, like the most surprising thing? Like, oh, I didn't know that that place was going to be like this or I didn't know like, that that was really cool. Yeah, like so... In the in the coolest places, like I was super looking forward to the point where um, in the film Forrest Gump he runs across that bridge, um, you know, with the mountains in the background, and so I ran across that very bridge. But of course, when you run across it, it looks nothing like what the film does because it's like filmed like fifty meters in the distance, and like so, I, I ran across it, just like oh, it's just like a road, and then I went to the side, and uh, I actually got my missus to run across it so I could see what it looked like there. 
And um, reaching Chicago, because it was like, I was a Chicago Bears fan. And so I approached the city via uh, Lake Michigan. And it was just like the most like, wow moment ever yeah. just seeing it appear, you know. But um, most of the amazing things uh, I saw were generally just like acts of kindness from people. Like sort of, um, I was in the desert in a gallop in New Mexico it just started to rain and the lady pulled up and asked if I needed a ride. And I was like, oh, no, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, well, I'll get you an umbrella. And I was just like, oh, no, honestly, I, I couldn't really run with an umbrella. And I was like sort of, you know, a bit, a bit encumbered at the time. Yeah. So then she comes back from her, she drives away and she comes back from her house with the contents of a penny jar. Like sort of, you know, I don't know how much it was. But it was like, and I said, oh, listen, I, I, and I could tell by the state of a car, she couldn't afford to spare that penny jar. And... I didn't want to make out that I couldn't take her money because I was judging her, but I had a great excuse because I just physically couldn't carry right. it. And I just said, oh, you're a, you're a diamond. You know, I said, but I just couldn't carry it. Thank you very much. And I said, but if you've decided, uh, she was like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, and if you've decided you can spare that, you should go and treat yourself. So I'd love to know what she oh, got. Oh, that's really <laughs> nice. I see it's well, she moments was just like that. Incredible, yeah. And that wasn't an uncommon thing. You know, that's one that really sticks out, but there were tales like that all over the place. Amazing. So that that's 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 an incredible things that you've done, and you've mentioned about the marathon to Saab, the unfinished unfinished business there. But is there anything else that you've got planned coming up next? Well, sort of. We've just decided that um, I am going to try and run across Ireland in a day in August. Um, so I'm I'm praying for a nice sixteen degree day with sort of you know like sort of light cloud. Um, but I know I'm either going to get a scorcher or it's going to be chucking it down, isn't it? But like, I've never, even like on the course of that America run, like the most I've ever run in a day, um, like with, is 68 miles, and this is double what I've done. So a lot of people are going, "Oh man, but you run five times across America, you're going to smash that." It's like I'm just like, no, Different. distance and time are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and um, like sort of, I've never done a hundred before. That's going to be a massive thing. So there will be success even if it isn't a complete sex success if i get to that 100 but then even still i can hopefully at least get to 68 and a half you know and um you know so um i think i'll only be a little bit disappointed if i don't get to 68 yeah. and that'll only not happen if i'm injured and i'll just have to roll with the punches on that i'm know? sure i'm sure you will definitely <laughs> you will definitely get there last couple of questions one if someone's listening and they're taking on a new challenge well I, i'm Signed up to do my first ultra in 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 October. It's only fifty one? miles. It's, it's oh, glass, there's no glass. only fifty miles, man. Remember distance and time. True. Right? <laughs> um, Glasgow to Edinburgh. Really? So um, yeah, that should be good fun. So, what would be a, a piece of advice, and it can either be on race day or beforehand? Would you give to? I was fortunate enough we had Scott Jurek on this podcast before. You're fortunate enough to ask him the same question yeah. as well, which was very helpful. But is there a piece of advice that you would you would give that was a little pearl of wisdom? Uh, well, having once travelled from Glasgow to Edinburgh on a stag do, I would say it was much easier in, in a limo. Uh, listen to Credence. Um, so I would sort of say on that, would it be in your first, don't set yourself any sort of goal. You're taking a journey into the unknown, you know. And so um, if you want to stand around, and you know, nobody in an ultra ever asks you what your PB is unless they're very niche. You know, the only questions in an ultra is genuinely like sort of, you know, how far was it, you know? Yeah. And so whatever you do, you'll surpass what you thought you were capable of or what you've done before. And even still, just like, you know, sort of me and my sort of challenge coming up, you know, 
you could, in inverted commas, fail, DNF, stop, whatever they want to call it. That is not a failure. And sort of, you know, like I am scared of my sort of run, but only because I know it's going to push me. It's going mm. to ta- it's going to take something for me to stop, and it'll take some of you to stop. But it'll take some of you to finish as well. And whatever way you end up, it's all about the journey, isn't it? What Thank a cliche! Very much. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and then last, last but not least, what do you love about being active? The, the fact that I just genuinely feel better. I'm a naturally lazy person. Nobody, nobody believes that and stuff. And I, I will find that, like at the moment, I'm running fairly well and I'm getting out and I'm making myself do it. So I actually have to force myself to get out. You know, sort of. Um, I work fairly long hours. I've got little and who I want to see. You know, sort of, and I've got other hobbies outside of it. But if I find if I don't run, I'm just. I'm just grouchy and miserable and stuff like that. And, you know, the second I get out, even if it's raining and I don't like running in the rain, I was definitely born in the wrong country, you know. <laughs> but, like, 10 minutes after being out, I'm just going, oh, this is great, this. You know, so why was I just, why did I, I sat, sit on my bum in the house for half an hour before I got out? I could have ran for an extra half an hour and stuff. It's all about keeping telling yourself it will be worth it. Because <laughs> it is. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you to listening to this final episode of the Outside and Active podcast on season four. We hope you enjoyed listening to Rob Pope and we will be back again for season five with more great guests and more inspiration. Thank you for listening. Make sure that you leave a rating on this podcast. And if you think there's someone that loves the outdoors as much as you do, then please recommend it to them. Until next time, enjoy the outdoors.